Welcome to The Gathering Place, a Blessed is She podcast. We're so glad you're here. Come chat with us about Jesus, prayer, community, and life. So let's get started. Jenna Gizar. Beth Davis. <laughs> and I'm Father Mark Mary with the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. <laughs> and we are The Gathering Place podcast from Blessed is She. <laughs> Shout out Spirit Juice Studios. You guys are doing good work over there. We're not working together, but thanks, Rob. We thanks for making thanks us happen, Rob. Rob. <laughs> what a guy! Am I right? He is yeah. a great guy. Yeah, can't wait for you to meet him one day. Please, God, Lord, hear our prayer. How would you like to begin by affirming your new opening? Thank you, Father. Very strong. Which is, we can maybe just try one more time. Three, two, one. Hey, Beth. No. <laughs> Hi, Jenna. Hi, friend. Hi, friend. <laughs> great to be with you. You look great today, Beth. Pull so up a seat here. of your heart. Father, it's such a delight that you're here. Thanks for flying all the way across the country just to sit down at this table. At the gathering place. And gather with us. I couldn't resist. Happy to be here again. Father, in case our sweet listener hasn't heard our previous episode with you, mm-hmm. would you mind introducing yourself? My name's Father Mark Mary, <laughs> and I am a Franciscan friar of the Renewal originally from Southern California, and I live in Harlem, New York right now. And I'm trying to become best friends with Blessed Is She. I feel like we're well on our way, truly. I feel like this is a pretty, we've come a long way in the last few months. If you guys had to pick a life verse. No, wait. You're hosting, I forgot. Oh, Father. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having us. So, Jenna and Beth. Yes. As you know, I have recently become a very avid listener of The Gathering Place. Mm. It's good. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, The podcast is one of our favorite things. To do or to put out? Both. Meaning, okay, yeah. I feel that way about our podcast, particularly because, well, I guess a lot of reasons. It's very good for me just to have the opportunity to sit with the guys and talk. Mm, Yeah. At the very least, it's very good for me. Agreed. Same. That's what I love most. It's just the time with Jenna. But then when we go on retreats or whatever, it's always like so special to talk to people who listen to the podcast. It's like the secret part of blessed issue i feel like yeah in listening there was an episode where you're both sharing a little bit and you were sharing a little bit about the mark 5 41 talitha coom mm-hmm. how do you pronounce it i don't know okay you're the expert maranatha <laughs> <laughs> and then beth shared about romans eight twenty eight. yeah that's it and romans eight twenty eight. and as a confessor i wonder i wonder i haven't asked other priests there's a few verses there's probably about five or so that we regularly use for me, like one of them is Philippians 4, 4 and following, which is the whole rejoice in the Lord always and say it again, rejoice. And I, do, I use that a lot with people who are struggling with trust. Um, and it's an invitation to entrust particular things to the Lord. And another one would be the raising of Lazarus, where Jesus really models how he enters into and feels the suffering, even though he's going to bring out good in it. Wow. And, and with that as well as Romans eight twenty eight, which is Beth's verse. Yeah. And when I heard you say, I was like, yeah, totally. I get that. Can you share with our sweet listener? The only, verse? Only the yeah, sweet yeah, yeah. one. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. That's a pretty strong and provocative even scripture verse. Yeah. I'll share briefly about like when it kind of became a part of my own spirituality, but it should, it's basically saying this is like, there's nothing that can happen in your life which is closed off to God's goodness and his capacity to bring about good if we stay in relationship with him mm-hmm. and, we, and we love him. It doesn't make the difficulties go away and it doesn't necessarily make them easier but we receive them and we confront them always with hope. And there's that whole, like the Pope Benedict thing, right? Those who have hope live differently. Those who have hope, those who believe Romans 8, 28, 
they encounter suffering and difficulty differently mm. because we have this confidence and this promise from the Lord. And what is it? If truth doesn't speak truly, then nothing's true. This is Thomas Aquinas speaking about the Lord. Like, if this is the word of the Lord, like, it's just true. So, Beth, would you be able to share just, I didn't hear why that verse was so important to you. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever shared it. My favorite fiction book of all time is actually a trilogy called the Mark of the Lion series. And the heroine of the series is like a personal inspiration to me. And she just spoke scripture so naturally in conversation. She was sharing the gospel with people, you know, after the historical fiction. So it's like after the resurrection of Jesus. And she's like this secret believer. But just in conversation, she would share the gospel with people, share hope with people. And that was one of the verses she shared. And there was just something that like, I wanted to believe that the way Hadassah believed that. So I just, yeah, memorized it. And it became my framework for my life. When I think about that verse, I kind of imagine all of these different streams of my life kind of coming together in this one strong current of God's will, that he pulls everything together. He can redeem anything, even the most unfortunate circumstances on the surface, right? All make their way into the river of God's will. So yeah, I think I just, I was compelled initially by her example, this fictional character, her faith. And then, yeah, that was one of the earliest verses I ever memorized. And then I just began to see it in my life, how the Lord could redeem things that had happened to me or, and I began to apply it in the future for things that had not happened, (laughs) believing that God would work all things together for good, for his glory. And so when things don't go the way we would desire for you, do you find that this verse gives you a sense of hope? Does it like change the way you you encounter things? Yeah. I feel actually sometimes a bit delusional or like in denial, but I just have such a deep trust because of this verse that it looks like that, but there's something else going on Mm -hmm. because this is the foundational truth of my life is that all things work together for good. Because God loves me and because I love him, he'll use everything. Ultimately, that is who he is and what he's capable of. And the lines in it about for those who love God are important. Yeah. Because you can do stupid things and persist in doing stupid things outside of relationship with the Lord, outside of love Lord. And because of how he respects our freedom, we can prevent him from entering in and bringing healing mm-hmm. and good about it. So it is true. It's not licensed to do whatever you want. And, right. and Lord's gonna, everything's going to be okay. But there's that part about if we stay in relationship with him and trust him, he can bring about good and will bring about good. And it's already working for good in all things. Yeah. One of the reasons that I find <laughs> this so fundamental and I bring it up all the time is that as the catechism reminds us at the beginning of the catechism that after the fall, all following sin, all subsequent sin after the fall is a result of disobedience and a lack of trust in God's goodness. The wound that we all struggle with is the wound of trust. Romans 8.28 is trying to offer the medicine to that, like this invitation to trust in all things because God is at work for good. That's the Lord trying to speak into that wound. I would say that there's three experiences I have of this. The first one came, this is when it kind of became on my radar. And so this is the less, where the stakes aren't that high. I I remember being in seminary. And there's a thing about seminary where, as friars in particular, like our vocation is not to be a student. Our vocation is not to be a seminarian. There is something of an incompleteness to it. Like, I'm not made for this. It can open the doors to frustration or to complaint. Mm. And so there is in seminary a lot of like a spirit of criticism just because you kind of live in a small little bit of a myopic bubble. And and I, I can feel a little bit of a spirit of that. And then, you're you know, you're in class and, and it can be like, okay, this, this professor or whatever, I just... 
he's not a particularly good professor or or he's born or I don't care what he, about what he's emphasizing, things like that. It was on this journey that the Lord brought this verse into my life. And basically what he said is this, it's like, you're in this place because I'm here. He's in this place because I'm here. And I've ordained this situation and I'm at work in it. He basically like undercut any argument I would have for complaint. He kind of undercut it because like no matter what is happening, if I'm in a relationship with the Lord, the Lord's going to bring good about it. And the one reason we're tempted to complain is because we don't experience a value or a goodness or a fruitfulness in whatever's happening. And so the Lord's like, no, just whatever's happening, I'm going to be in it with you. And so what that that protected me from was a spirit of complaint or of like cynicism or just discouragement and whatever was going on. It's like whatever this is, whatever life provides, if I'm in a relationship with the Lord, he's bringing about good. I think that is an important thing. No matter what happens in life, we're talking about little smaller things here. Yeah. I would say that um, complaint in its sort of uh, basis form, it's a sin against hope and it's a sin against this verse. There is great, I think, invitation for renewal for a lot of us in complaining. Because what complaining is saying, it's an expression, an external expression of the internal disposition that I don't think God's actually working for good in whatever's happening. That this is outside of his fruitfulness or his goodness. Mm. And so I'm going to complain and whine about it. There's a distinction to be made about actually addressing a problem as, a, as opposed to just complaining Right. I'm so grateful for that example because I feel like my love of that verse usually applies to the past or the future, but very seldom to my huh. present. It helps me to interpret my life as opposed to be present and full of trust right now. Does that make sense? Yep. So I love that. Thank you. You're welcome, Beth. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So I'll share maybe a little bit more recent thing. Yeah. And this really, it's a gift and it's a grace and I get that. And it's the fruit of my Franciscan vocation lived. Is I really trust God. I really do. Yeah. And that's that's a gift and that's a grace. And just just recently, I've been, it's one of the great joys of 2020. Like I've had a, actually a very full and fruitful 2020. In particular, there's this thing of St. Francis, like the Lord gave me brothers. I feel like the Lord gave me sisters during 2020 mm-hmm. and daughters. I always thought about being a dad for like a son and I just realized that if I had a daughter, she'd like totally wreck me and own me. <laughs> like, I, I didn't yeah. know this this was a thing. Yeah. I always imagined just playing sports. But now he's kind of given me in a spiritual sense, like daughters yeah. uh, and sisters, and particularly through the sister of life. Mm. They've been with their their sisters in formation, both as postulants and novices, pretty much every week through the pandemic. It's beautiful because all I have to do is show up and love them and encourage them. And mm. if that's it, I kind of get to do my whole grandpa thing a little bit early. But they had a little COVID outbreak in one of their convents where I'd been celebrating Mass. And it was just at the beginning of Advent. And what that meant is that according to the rule is, um, or like the protocols, no one was allowed in their convent, which would mean for them no Mass. And that's something like really hard for a priestly heart to accept. Like there's, at least for myself and, and the brothers as I'll share, like if sister wants mass, sister gets mass. There's something we feel very deeply responsibility if they're totally dependent on the Lord to give them the Lord. And so I, I said like, hey, so okay, we can't come in. Could we check and see if we can have mass? Like they have an like enclosed garden in the back. Like, would that be possible? And, and so they got permission to do it. And so we were going to have mass on two Sundays of Advent just in their back their back garden. Mm-hmm. It was really beautiful because the, the, the quarantine sisters like would attend from their window. Wow. And this was the only time that they were all together because during the day, they're quarantined. And so we had mass and it was like early in the morning and a couple mornings there was snow and they're all freezing. But what happened is like, okay, we can, we got permission for the Sunday. It's like, well, if I can get other guys, could other priests come as well? 
And they said, well, yeah, we just can't ask. Because they didn't want to like over, put an overdue burden on anybody. And the word I spoke, and I spoke from the heart with absolute conviction to the sisters, not knowing what was going to happen, thinking they might have mass twice in two weeks of Advent. I was like, sister, I don't know what the Lord's doing, but he's doing something. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's going to look like, but we come into the situation, which is a difficult situation, a situation we don't want, but we come into this with radical expectation and hope. Because God is a God who works for the good and all things for those who love him. Like this situation looks really desperate and really difficult and really hard, even just being quarantined for a couple of weeks like that. Yeah. But we cannot remove the capacity and the possibility and the radical hope that God is going to do something in this situation. And that's just truth. And that's the gospel. And that's Romans eight twenty eight. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I, I heard that, okay, if other priests can come, they can come. And I put one note at one friar. He talked to the couple of guys I live with. And just like that, we fill up all 14 masses for them, all two weeks of masses. Wow. Priests who had never been there before were like, yeah, okay, I'll go. And again, it's like in the snow. It's like it was one of the most beautiful moments I've had as a friar to mm-hmm. see my brothers kind of live in this way. But what happened right this is like they were in this situation, these sisters were like, okay, this seems terrible. The one thing we desire more than anything is to be present for the Holy Sacrifice, the Mass. That seems like that's going to be taken away from us. Mm-hmm. And they prayed and they hoped. And then the Lord provided. And in this circumstance, it was the provision of these priests who were like, yeah, we're just going to step up because you're brides of Christ and this is what priests do for brides of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so the gift they received of that was like overwhelming. And that kind of stuff just happens all the time. My conviction and my capacity to trust God, it's not theoretical, but it's because situations have happened where I've had to actually trust God and he's provided. I think a lot of people struggle with, they either have not seen God come through or they've not known that that was God coming through when he did. So I think a lot of people, they have no examples that like come to their head and they're like, oh, he came through that one time so I can continue to trust him. I can see Romans eight twenty eight happening in my life. Like you said, Beth, like I can use it as my lens to interpret my past or my future. How do we shift that in our brains? You know, mm-hmm. like how do we live believing that? Is it just seeing it for the first time, keeping our eyes open to see it for the first time? I just think that's a reality is like people don't even know like in our soul how to give our our soul to the Lord like that, to give ourselves to Him like that. There's not an easy one-size-fits-all answer. Yeah. This is the type of question I would much prefer to talk to somebody one-on-one in which I can ask them questions. I'll give a generic template. It is important for a lot of the difficult questions like this that someone gets it addressed in a one-on-one particular situation because it is a particular journey that each person's on as opposed to a generic one that they're just following the path. So there are, as you said, there's two, there's kind of, there can be two categories. The first one is that for whatever reason, God has provided and cared for them and they just haven't seen it. Yeah. And that can be possible that he's there and he's showing up and he's doing all sorts of things. And it's just like, hello, I'm providing, I'm doing like this is happening. There is a, a, if you will, a habit that we need to form of prayerful reflection on our life and what God's doing. And that's why it's a, a typical part of a standard exam and to have some time of thanksgiving as well, just for us to nurture and facilitate and to build that capacity to see God's work and what that looks like. And when you say thanksgiving, do you mean thanksgiving like in the little things or the big things or both? Like what does that practically look like? Again, I I think for me, I'll use myself, right? So today there's standard and then there's particular ways in which God is caring for me. The fact that I can make a visit to the Blessed Sacrament in the morning and spend an hour in adoration and celebrate the Holy Mass. Like that happens every day. And if we're not careful, that becomes not enough. Or the fact that I can uh, confront life with hope because there is a promise of salvation. Like that kind of stuff 
we ought to regularly be thankful for because yeah. that matters, right? Yeah. But also I can give thanks to the Lord for being here with you too. Mm-hmm. Like this is an expression of God's goodness to me in a way which is real and tangible and has faces and smiles and typing skills. <laughs> <laughs> you can go to bed each night and I am confident that if you have the eyes of faith, you can see at least five ways in which God has been good yeah. to you that day. Yeah. And some days you might have to go to sort of the basic standards. I'm thankful that you're Emmanuel, God always with me. I'm thankful for the gift of hope. You know, maybe it's that that sort of basic if things are most difficult. But <clears throat> the second is this, is there, it is possible, and this is where I would be very slow to propose this as, as what is happening in anybody's life, but it is pro- possible that we are not in relationship with the Lord and we're not loving the Lord and that we're saying no to him and there are things he wants to do, but we're not cooperating with grace and there are effects to that. There are real consequences to our the use of our freedom. That's possible. And thirdly is this, as I sort of alluded to with the the examination of gratitude, the Lord has an eternal time frame with which to fulfill this promise. Mm. I don't think, because he's a good father, I don't think he's going to or desires to keep all good things from us until the end. And then we'll just be raised from the dead and welcome into heaven and be like, see, I told you, look at it. Because he, he desires to heal the distrust in our hearts. And the way in which he's, he does that is by providing for us and the stuff of our life. But nonetheless, this is the grace and it has to be with the Lord. This is how we confront death and tragedy mm-hmm. with this verse in mind is that we do believe in the resurrection of the dead and an eternal reward. In some very desperate situations, that is where we have to... Um, anchor our hope. I don't want to derail your third example because I haven't forgotten you have another application of this verse. But I wonder if what's tricky for people about all things work together for good, the way they're translating that is nothing bad is ever going to happen. And so there's confusion or pain, like a sense of betrayal when suffering comes because I thought all things were supposed to work together for good. When in reality, this verse is meant to be applied to the suffering in order mm-hmm. that we move through it with great trust and hope in the Lord. Well, And can we read the verse one more time? Mm-hmm. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Just to comment, I do appreciate both of your questions because I do think that they're sincere questions and I think they keep Asking sincere questions and even difficult questions to the Lord and to Scripture is really important. He wants to speak into real situations, right? And that's where the gospel is meant, meant for. And we don't have to like pretend like it's not hard or we don't understand, right? Yeah, I just wonder if people maybe wrestle with believing the Lord at His Word in yeah. Romans eight twenty eight because of the reality of suffering, yeah. because they read all things work together for good. I think rather than applying the hope and the trust to the suffering— they think it should keep us from suffering. If all things work together for good, why isn't God only bringing good things into my life? This is obviously opening up a lot of questions. I'm going to respond to it using the paradigm of the raising of Lazarus. I believe that's John 11. Yeah. And there's a reason why I use this is that, right? So this is the story is that, so Jesus is, he's not in Bethany. So he's not with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And a message is sent to him that Lazarus, your friend is dying. So he hasn't died yet. Your friend is dying. And, and Jesus says, basically on the lines of like, it's okay, it's going to be for the glory of God. And all will be well is essentially what he says. But he doesn't go right away. And in this hesitation, in that space, Lazarus dies and is buried. And then Jesus makes the journey to Bethany and he's on the road is when he's met with, with Martha and with Mary. 
and this idea of if only you were here, he would have lived or you could do anything, you know, and they have this faith and this understanding of who he is. That is, it's an expression of their struggle of like, whoa, we know who you are and we know that you could have kept him alive and you could have protected us from the suffering. Like, why didn't you? And Jesus' response is that he weeps, right? That's it. He feels it. And I think that's super important is that we do live in a fallen world and the effects of sin on the world are real. Ultimately, they are the fruit of our freedom. And the Lord has honored our freedom and there are ordinary consequences to actions. And so sin and suffering are in the world. And his response is not to make that all go away, which is kind of what a lot of people wanted. Right. But his response is to enter into it, firstly, and to feel it with us. I'm with you not only in presence, I'm with you in emotion. I'm with you in experience. And so he feels the pain that we feel. And he's already said, I'm going to use this for the glory of God. We know it's going to be okay and that it's going to work out. And he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he still takes the time to suffer with us. And then, right, he goes and says, Lazarus, come out. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. That is the model of how Jesus works. Like Romans eight twenty eight, we know that God's going to work for the good in all things. Nonetheless, we live in a fallen world and difficult things are going to happen. Why that happens, we can, we can talk about it for a lot of different reasons. The conversation is not really going to help. You know, I mean, like, totally. the, the answer is not just an explanation. Yeah. It is a mystery, but nonetheless, we just have this confidence that the Lord comes into it and he feels it with us and he joins us in it and he mm-hmm. walks with us. And there will be resurrection. There will be resurrection. What that looks like, when, how, I don't know. That's the promise. And that's what he's done again and again and again and will continue to do. And I think what you're alluding to there is the peace, not necessarily the answer or the understanding, but the peace will come when you experience the Lord in your suffering with you. A verse I love in that John 11, he's heard Lazarus is ill, but before he goes, it says, accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I have sat like in holy hours and wrestled with those two verses. If he loved them, why did he let them suffer? And what's the promise of that? What's the hope of that? Where is his presence in my own waiting and longing and pain? It's not going to come from a podcast. It's going to come from being with Jesus in that moment, maybe in this gospel even. And here we're alluding to one of my favorite lines from Pope Francis' encyclical Lumen Fidei, that really the response to suffering, what we need is not like an answer or some sort of argument. What we need is a presence that's with us for the journey. At Advent, his nativity, right, when he comes into the fallen, broken world, he doesn't come and fix everything. He comes and brings himself. And that's Jesus' response to suffering is the gift of himself. We struggle because too often we don't think he's an, the gift of himself is enough mm. or a sufficient response. And it's real. And that's, that's the conversation we need to have with the Lord is um, you come with yourself and can that be enough? Or what does that mean? And we can be honest if we feel like it's not enough. Can I share one of my favorite images? Please. I love that in all of our churches, the Catholic Church, that we have the crucifix, right? Mm -hmm. And the crucifix is just this, it's the reminder of the greatest evil that ever happened, that Jesus was crucified and that the Father allowed him to be crucified. And there is something of that, like these waiting for two days, like, why don't you protect your son? And that Jesus is crucified and this reminder of his death in a way which is symbolic, right? The crucifix is not alive. But also in all of our churches, there's the Eucharist, that he who was crucified is alive that he is, he is, he's risen from the dead. And next to that Eucharist is a candle. And that candle always burns. And that is something of our hope. Like, And maybe that's how we cling to Jesus in the difficult times. Like, I feel like I'm united with you on that crucifix. 
I will be united with you in the resurrection. And as I make that journey, you're here with me. Hope is this sanctuary candle in our lives that never goes out. He's always with us. We always have hope no matter what's happening. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean we know how it's going to work out. But he's with us and we have surety that he works for the good in all things for those who love him. Relationship and allowing and, and, and the journey are the response, are the answer. So that's the paradigm. Crucifix, resurrection, right? Paschal mystery. And that's for all of us. And it's it's not just a one thing, time thing. It's a, it's a regular thing. And it's a bit of a, it might lack some of the, the gravitas for what some of our listeners are are experiencing. But nonetheless, it was a it was a it was a really insightful moment for me. As a priest, I was helping out with some high school retreat. And one of the practices they have is like you make this graph of your life. Right. And so you have like high moments and low moments. And I was like part of the group and so I like I was supposed to do it and share it with them. And what's really fascinating at this time I was in my in my thirties, is it, I was looking back at my life, like I found it really hard to have any like actual low moments. Because in all the difficulties I'd experienced, I'd seen how the Lord had done something with that. And it didn't mean there weren't low moments and difficult moments, but that as time unfolded, I saw God bring some fruit, something out of it. And I think that, that in the resurrection of the dead, when we are in before him, we look at our lives and what he's doing in the context of all of eternity. Like, I think we have that moment. And um, again, like I don't want to reduce the difficulty or um, that anyone might be suffering, but I do believe there's something of that. Like there will be a moment when all tears will be wiped away and the mystery of suffering will be extinguished by the light of his goodness and glory and all will be well and all will make sense and all will be fulfilled. That's his promise. And that's what we believe. And that's why we live differently. I would say that's what we're supposed to believe. But I I don't know. I just keep coming back to we don't actually believe these things like to our core. Mm -hmm. There's a song by a worship leader I really love. Yeah. And it's just a spontaneous song and she just says what if we believed it like anything could happen i just think we can like hear all of these things till the cows come home good question yeah important question yeah we ask for help faith and hope are a gift of the holy spirit and the fruit of divine life living in us when we can't we just ask for help but we stay in relationship that's the key remain in me we stay in it you can't manufacture it and you don't have to i was just really struck by that example that you gave about the life graph yeah. I do that in the well with women. And I did it on my own eight day. And it was not super fun experience. <laughs> and a lot of women that I walk with have a similar experience, but they tend to want to tie it up with a bow. You know, I'm glad I went through that because I'm stronger or that relationship wasn't healthy, but there's like an edge to it, if that makes sense. Whereas the way that you're talking about seeing the fruit of God's activity in your life in those low moments feels very peaceful. I don't know if there's like a question there. I'm just trying to even distinguish the difference. How do we not just shut it down or like sweep it under the rug versus like really sit with it, allow the Lord into it and see the fruit of it. And it's not a bad, um, I think to, to say that, my life is different than most people's lives. And and actually what I mean by that is not that it was easier, but that this is why God calls men and women to live religious life. And the healing and the confidence and the trust and the new light with which I look upon my life is the fruit of an all-in extended journey, which is more than a decade long. It's not from one retreat. Right. It didn't happen overnight. And it's mm-hmm. still happening in some ways, I think. 
we have to in the real stuff of our lives allow the lord to care for us and provide for us mm. and that's how he heals the trust wound nonetheless okay so backing up real quick is, is i do i think it is important to say like this didn't just happen by accident mm. we just have to be comfortable with being where we are and from where we are having an honest conversation with the lord so if you're looking at your life graft and there's an edge and there's an anger the danger is for you to have that conversation with yourself and not to have it towards the lord so that's the movement always mm. and the lord can take some visceral stuff from us and so that would be my my encouragement it's like yeah you know what i hear you and the lord he- hears you maybe just invite the lord to weep with you in that for the moment mm-hmm. just to stay there can you ask for help to talk to him about it and that's an okay place to start yeah and and the lord can take and wants us to bring to him like the we can be raw with him and real with him and so wherever we're at, whatever we're feeling, it's particularly on the emotional level and even doubts, questions, whatever, like we just bring it to him. That's the ticket and that's the key is we just keep it in that relationship. And if we're in that relationship, kind of jump into another popular verse is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? The Lord responds very well to the cry of the poor. Mm. And so we just have to keep crying out to him, stay in that relationship and he'll come and he always does. Father, are you saying we're all poor? Yeah. What you need, you can't give to yourself. I just don't think I've ever heard that verse and understood that it was about me. Which verse? The Lord hears the cry of the poor. Oh. Yeah. What you most need and most desire for yourself and your life, you cannot give to yourself. Mm. Therefore, we are all poor. My mind is blown by that. It's so true. It's so obvious now that you say it, but I've never seen it before. Thanks, Father. You're welcome, Beth. You want to go pray? Yeah. Would you mind closing us out, Father? I want you to close us out. Always the guest. That's true, actually. I feel like when we're all family, there are no guests. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. I'll pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we repent that not often enough we have believed that you are enough. We ask for the grace of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you, that your presence and your work in our life may be the answer to our prayers, and that what we need for hope and for trust and for persevering and for making the next best step is not going to be the fruit of our own strength, but the fruit of you living your life in us and us surrendering to our radical poverty and dependence on you for all things. We desire to believe and live deeply founded in your promise that you are at work for all things, that you are at work for the good in all things in our lives because we love you. Where there are shadows and doubts, may your light bring clarity and peace. We need you, but we trust you, and we beg you to come and to be our strength when we're not strong enough, to carry us when we cannot cry out to you. Jesus, with all that we are, We trust in you. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and amen. 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 Thanks, Father. You want to hear one last story? Please. Yeah. (laughs) So before I went to Africa, there was this girlfriend who was the best thing that had ever happened to me. Mm. And so there's this moment of like leaving behind the best thing I've ever seen, touched, felt, smelled Mm. for a promise, which I had, which was in the future. It's still mystery. Before um, leaving for South Africa, 
it was like the day before we went and had our our goodbye down on the park eucalyptus park and i got down there and got in her truck and she had made a scrapbook for me and we said goodbye and all that and she was crying and i had like one tear and i got back in my truck and this is it right as i'm driving back and going up a, up a hill all of a sudden i break down from internally and i have to go into i go to the parking lot of a mormon church and the words that just flowed like they never flowed before like the most sincere prayer ever was jesus i trust in you mm. jesus i trust in you jesus i trust in you i just think that's what it looks like it's, that's it's what the spirit can do it's just sometimes like oh we can are, are clinging to hope into romans 8 28 just saying jesus i trust in you jesus i trust in you jesus i trust in you and so like jesus i trust in you it's got to be more than like a cute thing we put on the walls it's got to be that visceral yeah thanks father Thanks, Petey. Thank you, Jenna. See you guys soon. Bye. Bye. (laughs)